Welcome to another episode of the Atlanta Foodcast by Georgia Organics. I'm Mary Elizabeth Kidd, Georgia Organics Communications Director. So a farmer, a chef, and a climatologist walk into a bar. I don't know the end of this joke, but it is a good preview for the awesome guests that we have on the show this week. To kick things off, a farmer and a chef conversation between Chris Edwards, farm manager of Sparta Gardens in Sparta, Georgia, and Jared Stieber, chef and owner of Little Bear in Atlanta's Summerhill neighborhood and a participant of Georgia Organic's Farmer Champion program. We then caught up with agricultural climatologist Pam Knox, who's the director of the UGA Weather Network and a UGA Extension Specialist. These are some really interesting folks, and I hope you enjoy the show today. Before we begin, a quick mention that today marks the beginning of the Georgia Farm to School and Early Care and Education Virtual Summit. This event runs throughout the week, and you're encouraged to still register and participate. There are dynamic education sessions highlighting gardening, cooking with kids, local procurement, curriculum integration, and more. This is hosted by Georgia Organics and the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. To learn more, visit farmtoschool.georgiaorganics.org. Enjoy today's show. First up, we have the incredible farmer chef duo Chris Edwards and Jarrett Steber. Two entertaining folks that I know you'll enjoy their conversation. Chris Edwards is farm manager at Sparta Gardens, founded by Robert and Susie Curry. Chris has spent over 10 years as an organic farmer in Georgia and in Ghana. Chris's expertise and passion for farming matches perfectly with the talent and sourcing commitments of chef and farmer champion Jarrett Steber of the now one-year-old Little Bear. Enjoy their conversation. Get a, if this is done and you get a recording, yours is probably going to be better than mine because it's going to be uh, longer. But at least now, I think mine's recording. Please, too. Ask, please ask the host to give you permission to record. Uh, it's like a little prompt. Oh, weird. I don't see that. Well, I mean, I have your permission. I guess if you. How do I give? I guess he doesn't let you say yes or no. No, it just says closed. But, Maybe it's. It looks like it's not, recording on my end. Yeah, I see at the top it says recording. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do I have your permission to record you? Yes, you do. All right. <laughs> do we need to start back over? <laughs> well, I'd say we just keep going. We should probably do a little in who we are, and then we just keep rolling okay. with what we were talking about. Because I got some, I got some questions I gotta. I, I was gonna ask you at some point anyway, but it's always. Okay feels better to just talk sometimes you know yeah man yeah. i haven't seen you in a while too man so it's good yeah to see it, has, it has been a while well let's start with the intros cool who the yeah. hell are you oh you're asking me okay cool yeah. <laughs> uh my name is chris edwards i'm a co-owner and manager of sparta gardens out in sparta georgia we're about an hour and a half east of atlanta uh we have a 10 acre organic farm and we also do uh, culinary mushrooms in an old cotton warehouse Hell yeah. um, in the rural Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows you're such a fun guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all the time. You're waiting to say that one. <laughs> I've been itching. I've been rehearsing it in the mirror every morning for the last two weeks to try to make it feel <laughs> natural. 
my yeah. dog like dad stop it's not funny <laughs> but yeah man i just you know i'm i'm blessed to be in the position i'm in to be able to grow food for people you know oh yeah I'm Jarrett Steber. I'm the uh, chef owner and mostly lead dishwasher of Little Bear in Summer Hill uh, on Georgia Avenue. And I am blessed to be in the position to cook food for people, especially after year one being during a pandemic. We're still able to cook for people. So that's about as good as it gets. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. And I guess, when did we actually meet? What, what month was it? Uh, it was persimmon season. What month would that be like? So that's like late September. summer. Yeah, September maybe. Yeah, I think September the first one started coming in. Yeah, late September. Yeah, because that's how it all started. So mm -hmm. uh, I guess the point of this conversation for the uh, listener, I would assume there's probably just one or two that might listen to this. Uh, <laughs> if, if you solo listener are listening to this, yeah. this all started our working relationship basically because I wanted some persimmons and I asked Brent Hall from former Free Will Farm if he had any and he said, no, but Chris Edwards does and gave me your number. And then uh, you just kept giving us 20 pounds at a time of persimmons for a couple yeah. couple weeks in a row. Yeah. And then it turned into mushrooms too. And we've been working together since. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, yeah. The best yeah there are many people that actually cultivate persimmons. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of a niche thing to have because I, I want to say we got the most trees in like the metro farmer community it, it certainly seems that way because usually yeah, it seems like it yeah. yeah most of the persimmons that we would get it would be mostly the how do you say is it hachaya or something hachia like that? Hachia? yeah which yeah, is the quote-unquote native ones yeah those are the ones that we get a lot and it's usually like someone either shows up or just texts you like i have a bunch of these that <laughs> i can sell you right now and you're not prepared for it so it was really yeah. nice to have the Fuyu persimmons from you and to be like, can we please have 20 pounds yeah. <laughs> weekend for delivery? And you would say, yes, that would be great. And we could just plan on it like a bunch of professionals. And yeah. <laughs> show up at the restaurant. Well, they'll definitely be back this year, man. Uh, the trees right. are looking beautiful already. Perfect. We got leaves coming in, so should be nice. Yeah. And I've added a few uh, extra fruit trees this year, like I was saying earlier. Yeah, you, you got some plums. Yeah, I planted 20 plums. Uh, I've also planted uh, 30 blackberries and 20 Concord grapes. Ooh. Yeah, I've been busy, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. It'll be fun to work with some grapes that aren't just the muscadines. I love muscadines. Exactly. I mean, I should try something different. Concord's my favorite, man. So that's why I'm, I'm pushing to have these survive the, the humidity here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's our, the, the grapes in us all yeah <laughs> somebody told me once that living in atlanta during the summer is basically like living inside somebody's mouth for two and a half months i was like oh you know you're not far off it's like 100 percent humidity and high 90s so pretty much yeah. mouth-like conditions yeah but yeah it's been a it's been a great you know experience man i'm i'm new to uh this company uh sparta yeah. garden yeah, when did you start with them like a, what, a, two years ago or something, maybe? It was uh, December 2019. So that was when I first heard like Wuhan, blah, 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 shit's happening in Wuhan. I was like, oh, yeah. okay, I'm moving to a whole new city. This is all like, <laughs> <laughs> like what's going on in the world? You know, yeah. And I remember we went to um, the um, Georgia Organics Conference that was in Athens. Uh -huh. and that was That was February. So yep. that was right when I think the Forever. first, yeah, like 
California at first got the first like case. Yeah, I think there's some in like Seattle or something. Yeah. And we were still, you know, just walking around, just yeah. breathing each other's air. And then it, it actually snowed that day, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And after we left that that conference, the, the sh- shit hit the fan, basically. Yeah, well, that's why it was <laughs> snowing. That was because hell was freezing over. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, Satan's licking his chops down there like, yes, I've been waiting for this. This is my time. <laughs> so, yeah, was, you know, I basically started right in the pandemic. So we were we, re- we really have a similar story, man. Like, yeah, our beginning is the pandemic. It's like, yeah. all I know is pandemic farming here. Like, yeah, I know. It's going to be weird. Like, what are we going to do next year? We got to think of some new <laughs> something crazy we can release out into the world at the wrong yeah. time and start round two. <laughs> But yeah, it's been a you know amazing journey, you know, coming into a new enterprise. And yeah. It was actually two. We had the farm side, Elm Street Gardens, and we also had uh, Sparta Imperial Mushrooms. Mushrooms, yeah. And I merged the two companies, did a rebranding, renaming. Just, you know, it just made sense. It's like, yeah, well, we got these two sisters. They just, just yeah. do a science thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just mash them together. That's so, a similar, similar background for actually before Little Bear for my pop-up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't intend to ever run a pop-up restaurant, but it just kind of started happening. And then next thing I knew it was seven years later and the pop-up was still somehow in business, which was cool because it lasted that long, but also terrible because I was trying to open a restaurant for six of those years and was like, why is this taking so long? Yeah. But uh, yeah, where, the, pop-up, the pop-up? Where was the pop-up was all over the place for a little while, but it, it was called Eat Me, Speak Me um we started as a coffee pop-up with uh these guys that had a shop called steady hand Poorhouse uh, mm-hmm. a long time ago which now dale donche one of the owners uh owns spiller park and uh jordan chambers one of the other owners then works for uh intelligentsia coffee so things have gone in a different direction but yeah we started doing like a breakfast lunch coffee pop-up thing and then we moved it to a dinner pop-up because they wanted to kind of like focus on the food a little bit more is going to be dinner and coffee and we were going to share the deli with candler park market uh, okay. and they were like what should we call it like it's going to be some food thing and one of the guys was like fuck it why don't we just call it eat me and yeah. we were all laughing and we we're just like yeah okay why not so we just yeah. called it, eat me. it was this pop-up and it was very confusing to everybody because people mostly would come back there and be like, oh, the deli's still open. That's great. I love the later hours. Can I get this sandwich? And it would be like, nope, but I have blood sausage and yeah. <laughs> some clams on this panini press if you're interested. Uh, so that was kind of a hard sell. But yeah, we had our graphic designer at the time. His office was right around the corner um, in Candler Park. So once a week, we couldn't even let people drink beer wine like byo there because it sold retail to go so we'd be running this pop-up and people would be like oh there's a great wine selection here like can i just buy a bottle and open it and i was like man i wish you could but we can't because of the liability for candler park market so what we started doing was once a week we would get a bartender or like a friend of mine from town yeah we'd set him up in the graphic designer's office right around the corner so they'd yeah. come in and eat with us and we'd slip him a piece of paper with the address and they yeah. go over and have like speakeasy drinks afterwards. It was like an actual speakeasy, like, you know, yeah. for free. It was just encouraged to leave some cash in the tip yeah. jar. So we called, yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> we called those nights, eat me, speak me. 
And then yeah. people were like, well, what's eat me? What's eat me? Speak me. What's the difference? And it was like, oh man, this is too confusing for people. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's really not that hard. It's like, eat me is the pop-up. Eat me, speak me is the night we do a speakeasy. But that was apparently like, you know, college level calculus for people to yeah. figure out. So <laughs> we just turned all the branding to eat me, speak me. And then yeah. we went over to the general mirror for a little bit we we're using their deli counter but we'd also made friends with the ramen pop-up that was going on at gato which was next door to candler park market um they were they invited us in along with the owner of gato to come do a couple nights there so there was like a ramen pop-up a few nights and then our pop-up a few nights and then we took over a few more nights we were doing the whole weekends we were there for a few years and then we couldn't really expand because the space was so small so we moved to sos and decatur Tiki okay. bar that's affiliated with victory yeah because um, they were kind of in the same boat where they were like we don't want to pay a chef anymore and we don't really sell a ton of food here but we have like this full built-out kitchen we just want somebody who can do something interesting you run a pop-up you have a good name reputation you know how to use another space why don't you just come in run the pop-up we'll take a little bit of the profit like any pop-up agreement but you can make your own money basically so for them it was a way to have interesting food without paying a chef and for me it was a bigger space and I used a bigger kitchen to work out of so we went there for a couple of years and, and what was the difference from uh, the original pop-up to the the victory um the the difference yeah how many people yeah did service it well in theory it would have been a lot better but the problem we ran into is we were sharing the business at the exact same time which was a new set of issues like at gato it was a breakfast restaurant they closed at two o'clock so we had dinner service in there it was just us yeah. with the tiki bar they were open and it was our food and their drinks so it was like their front of house staff their drinks and people who wanted our food had to come to that bar to get it so some okay. nights there would just be you know, the place would be full and it was only people who wanted tiki drinks. They weren't eating and our customers would come in and have nowhere to sit. And then there'd be some nights where, you know, especially weekdays, it'd be quiet and there's more space and we could get our customers to come in. So it ended up being better logistically. We had more space and equipment and like could push the food a little more, but we were much slower than we had been at Gato. Yeah. But we were like working so actively to opening the restaurant, to opening Little Bear um and had finally gotten a lease in place and things like that where it was just like i don't want to move anywhere else ruffle any more feathers let's just stay here you know survive tread water and then we'll get the restaurant open and be successful so i mean from when we signed the lease to when we opened little bear was about 20 months um and it had been six years of planning before that or five years before that so a lot of time went into it and obviously it didn't happen quickly but yeah after all the work and the stress of opening the restaurant and finally getting open we were like all right cool we did it like we can we can open it's been you know seven years of running the pop-up and six years of that planning the restaurant and all the money we had to scrounge up for it and all the permitting we had to go through and we're finally here and we opened the doors and it was february 26 of 2020 so two weeks before the state of emergency we we're like well shit <laughs> nailed it on the timing Got you, got you. Well, so what I'm hearing, man, is you've been practicing or exercising resiliency from from the beginning, man. Like it's yeah. I mean, it's it started that way with the pop up. Yeah, yeah, man. That's exactly, exactly what the pop up is. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, in some ways, we were set out to survive a pandemic because we had yeah. so much time 
before the pandemic to really dial in the you know just get shit done factor of the, of the business it was like yeah we don't have a choice this weird logistical hurdle it was always something and so pandemic wasn't on the list of things yeah. I expected <laughs> to work around but it was like all right you know we wallowed in our own misery for a couple hours maybe the last day of the so the state of emergency came out it was the second weekend uh, operation for us but nobody knew what it meant right because they didn't give us any guidelines it was just like state of emergency and we we're like all right well what does that mean all of us were still open like every restaurant in town was still open for another week after that mm-hmm. and then by the end of that week that's so when we we're here and like okay there's gonna be a shutdown we don't know what this means we don't know what the lockdown is so i had that moment where i was like oh cool you know i just borrowed half a million dollars for this restaurant haven't paid a dime back of it yet because we've only been open for a couple weeks and now we have to shut down there's a lockdown and my life's ruined so it's no big deal you know it's a lot to deal with but you know you think about stuff like that for a couple hours and then it's like Mm -hmm. or i can do something about it so we just immediately pivoted and went to take out we were never closed we didn't do any shutdown of the business we just transitioned one Sunday night we had guests in and then the next Wednesday when we, re- we reopened for our normal weekly service, we were a takeout restaurant and that's how it's been ever since. Yeah. But we never stopped buying from local farms. Yeah, I know. That's, that's the beauty. It's like you, you were able to bounce man and keep it rolling. You know, well, I mean, you guys were still rolling. That's the thing is like, you know, so many restaurants, especially the bigger ones that buy mostly commodity food, even ones in town who, you know, talk about sourcing locally, but it's more like marketing than it is an ethos. And they're still buying a lot of commodity. They were the ones who had trouble because there were all the issues with shipping and, you know, logistics, even something as simple as like commodity packaging that comes from China for them to box their stuff up. Like it wasn't available, but the local guys, you guys are still growing. You know, the pandemic didn't stop you from putting seeds in the ground and picking things that were yeah, we were planning for a regular year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Next thing we knew, they were like, oh, I can't buy seeds. What? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so how did that affect you right off the rip? Did you notice like immediately, oh, these restaurant accounts are not yeah, well, open anymore? It's similar to you, man. Like I've always been on the resilience side. Like that's just kind of been my survival, yeah. you know, technique just in my whole life. So I always keep enough seed for the next year. Yeah. I mean, that's just something in my mind tells me, why would I not do that? Like, yeah, I can just, it just seems like, Hey, what if shit goes crazy? Yeah. I'm out of money this year. At least I can grow again. You know? Yeah. I've already had those sort of like layers of like insurance, if you will. Yeah. But yeah, it was definitely nerve wracking when I saw that, like, cause I, I, I have really close relationships with some of the, like, like, high school friends like uh you know supremo taco you know that yeah uh-huh one of the co-owners me we went to high school yes that's i mean we're really really tight friends and i'm like yeah, man. Uh, omar omar yeah 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 and i've hi, known Mike, you're listening what's that say hi omar if you're listening yeah i'm gonna make him listen that's yeah, cool. yeah. <laughs> you name dropped you damn it you better. exactly bro yeah <laughs> but yeah also maricela at uh adon yeah you know, oh, like those stuff, are really yeah. good homies. Yeah, man. So it's like being able to talk with them. It's like, okay, what's going on, man? How are you all affected? Like, what's your what's your staff going through? Yeah. You know, just being able to get those real, like, like real heartfelt, like honest, like stories of like how are how they're being affected. Like, 
yeah. I know how I'm affected, but like, what's going on with y'all? Cause like, yeah. at the end of the day, you guys are buying my stuff. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. if I make sure I can like, you know, be flexible enough for you to get through this as well. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I, I was still selling at, you know, farmer's markets, right? Cause I, I could have been like, oh, fuck this restaurant. Shit. I'm yeah. out of here. Yeah. I'm going to get twice as much from my bunch of carrots. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You got to go sell retail prices and there's still a farmer's market every Saturday morning and every Sunday morning. And, you know, you can, yeah. We, we were selling more. Like, yeah. I mean, I couldn't keep up. Like, it's, we still aren't keeping up with that demand. Like, yeah, I know. Everybody ruined uh, yeast for all of us restaurants because everyone was at home like, I don't have anything to do. I'm going to learn how to bake bread. And then we couldn't get any damn yeast. So we're like, man, we already know how to bake bread and we're trying to do it well. And you're at home making your crappy bread, taking all the yeast. Yeah. Well, I, I, that's what happened with the seeds too, huh? Yeah, with the seeds, with the glass. <laughs> like we couldn't get mason jars because everyone was like, oh, I'm going to pickle this year. It was like, all right, cool. We weren't ready for, yeah. for people to uh, practice their own insurance, if you yeah. will. Yeah. The nation wasn't ready for it. We didn't have the mass. We didn't have the mason jars, not the yeah, seeds. Seed. So it just shows how how what our lack of resiliency was as a nation. Yeah. So it yeah. was just on, on Front Street, like, yo, y'all aren't ready. Yeah. <laughs> well, because, you know, everything lasts for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. It's like, oh, there was a bad storm or there was whatever. It's always yep. like, you know, it's worth food. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, oh, it's been six months. Oh, it's been eight months. Oh, it's been a year. Like, this is uncharted yeah. territory. And none of us had a playbook. I mean, you look at it from the restaurants, it's like permitting, any of that other random bullshit you go through. You could ask your friends you've been through before. I can ask any colleagues of mine, people I cooked with before, you know, restaurateurs I respect. You can ask people and get questions. But when it came to, you know, how do you keep your business open week to week in a pandemic? There's no playbook for that. No reference. Yeah. And it's different state Trust by state. Every week. Like, what do you think is going to work? Yeah, man. That's why, I, like I said, I'm thankful you were able to, you know, transition into a different business uh, platform that allowed me to still be able to service you and that we could maintain that relationship, you know, because. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd, it would all just be farmers market, farmers market, farmers. And to me, yeah. that's like, that's not good for the sustainability of the business, right? Yeah. Because you put all your eggs in this one basket. One basket, yeah. Yeah. And that's where I'm like, no, I can't abandon the restaurant folks. I've got to be flexible on, you know, like I said, the volume, like you said, 20 pounds of persimmons isn't really a whole lot of, it's not a big order. Yeah. Right? So I had to say, all right, well, no, what's more important is the relationship yeah than me trying to max out this trip to the restaurant like yeah you know what i mean it's yeah, like exactly like, you can't say okay i need to ask you know a 250 dollars minimum to go yeah. drop off to a restaurant when it's you know pandemic and we're worried about paying our staff every week and keeping the lights on it's like if i can buy 70 dollars worth of persimmons that's all i can do right now hey man i was i'm thankful for it you yeah know? you know so that's that's what i was like you know, being able to be able, like, just kind of sit back and analyze like, oh man, we've got to like really be here for these restaurants that are able to like transition into other things or even have the courage to try to transition into something else. Like, it's like, oh man, I've got to be like a support system for you all, you know, during yeah. this time. You guys you know work. I mean? But, you know, that's the kind of stuff where I'm like, okay, 
that shows me that the relationship has to be stronger. Yeah. You know? it yeah. has to be stronger man so yeah, you yeah. don't get that in a conventional sense like nobody's like yeah you know i just my you know cisco it's my relationship with cisco is so just amazing like the it's product a that they're able to toss up <laughs> the truck at me twice a week as long as i hit the minimum and stick to the ordering days that are pre-scheduled because if i need it on a different day god forbid you know it couldn't possibly change those corporate plans around and get things out in different days like no it says that i mean i'm sure there's some restaurants maybe that feel that way don't yeah. work local stuff but yeah you can't develop those relationships that's why like we work with yeah, one large-scale purveyor and it's for the dry goods because you know like we Staples stuff, you know, yeah. as far as i know you don't have like a you know to-go container tree that you planted with your plums so <laughs> yeah <laughs> you still got to find a source for that but yeah, if you find one i would buy them from you, you for sure. a bush that just spit yeah. out deli containers and uh to-go bags i would definitely buy them from you instead of the, the big guys but well my my goal this year is to bring one of those like hard items for like local restaurants and local growers is dry beans yeah yeah so that's my goal this year is to you know have a decent um you know production to be able to offer like hey man i got those black beans they're local they're yeah. certified organic right. where else can you get this shit like, yeah. <laughs> like so that's my goal is to you know that because i do have a little bit more uh, acreage to grow and do sort of what i call staples you know um, or, you know, what would be dry goods and things like that. So it's like, all right, well, let me sort of transition into this uh, scale of agriculture as opposed to just a typical, you know, small sort of super diverse market garden kind of thing. It's like, all right, I'm kind of like teetering in two worlds a little bit now that I have a little more acreage to do things like that. Yeah. And so I was... Uh... I know off the top of my head because I know so much about you naturally is from our years of friendship that yeah. <laughs> uh, you grew, you were working in Ghana. Uh, I didn't just look that up okay, on, on <laughs> website or anything. I just know it because of our deep lasting yeah. friendship. Uh, but tell me about that. I want to know yeah. how that affects affected your approach on farming. That's something I'm really yeah. curious to hear about. Yeah, I actually was studying in Ghana, and okay. and I was there nine months. Uh, I was studying uh, ethnobotany under uh, a shaman known as Dr. Kwaku Ando. Wow. He was uh, very renowned in Georgia. Uh, he had a school here in in uh, Union City. I don't know if uh -huh. you know south of Atlanta. They had yeah. an eleven acre That's campus. Where there. I bought my car from. Okay, so yeah. Any Ford. Yeah, kind of like I don't know. It's like a used to be rural area yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a little bit more in, in developed now but it still has that kind of like rural georgia energy still floating around but yeah, yeah he had 11 acres there him and his wife they had a campus there and yeah for many years i was just like being nosy and just scratching around just like man what is this who's this guy like yeah is that I'm, where you're from are you from union city or are you from i grew up in stone mountain i was born yeah. in hawaii uh, military family and grew yeah. up in Stone Mountain. So, but yeah, you know, uh, I grew up with uh, a backyard garden. Yeah. Just my family culture. My dad grew up on a homestead. My grandfather built his own home. Wow. And yeah, man. So, you know, it's just 
that's what yeah. the hell you did. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, why, why don't you have your own squash? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, my mom's from uh, Tennessee. What's up? You, you just don't, yeah, your, your friends from school. It's like, you guys don't just pluck yeah. stuff off the bush right before you're ready to eat. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how, you know, we had a small garden in the back, you know, the typical Southern staple squash, peppers, watermelon, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess my relationship with nature and plants was, was already foundational in my being, you know, just culturally. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that, it, it didn't seem odd to, grow a tomato in a pot or grow it in the backyard you know it was just like oh that's that's what most people in the world actually do like <laughs> is that they grow something that they're consuming yeah. in their immediate area whether it's like a shared co-op ownership of the land or a little pot in front of the apartment like something most people in the world approach life that way you know yeah. and so yeah that was my you know my foundation if you will uh and then in 99 Way back then, <laughs> it's getting romantic now. Yeah, turn the yeah, light on. Turn the light on Wait, hold on. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> you can you tell me about the romance though. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, right. Candlelight dinner with Jared. <laughs> yeah, right. This is perfect in this podcast medium. Uh, yeah. Let's describe how romantic and beautiful the lighting is for these people <laughs> who can't see this. <laughs> the spring sun sets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But uh, yeah, what was I saying? Uh, so yeah, you know, just food. I was around food and medicine too, because, uh, you know, culturally, you know, I was around holistic practitioners, you know, the first time I ever met my first traditional healer, I was in first grade. So really young, really impressionable young mind. Yeah. And I formative age. What's that? A formative age. So you can yeah, get formative, yeah. experience. I burned myself, uh, you know how waitresses sometimes or waiters will sort of hold three cups in their finger with the little triangle technique yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I saw no, people at restaurants do doing it. I was like, I can do that shit. Like, yeah. So I was making hot cocoa in the microwave with plastic cups. Yeah. Bad idea. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I was making it. Was, were, yeah. It was for me and my sibling. Napalm. Exactly. <laughs> I put it in there for way too long. The yeah. cups basically melted. Yeah. So I reach in, I grab it, and of course, it burns the shit out of my hand. Yep. I burned my chest really bad. And my parents didn't take me to the, the, you know, the hospital or the clinic. They took me to the neighborhood practitioner, traditional practitioner. It was an older black lady. She had to be close to a hundred, man. Yeah. And that was the first, yeah, that was the first time I saw natural soap. She made her own soap. And yeah. it was a, like in the Southern soap that's called potash soap. Uh-huh. And what they do is use the uh, the lye, lye from, yeah. from ashes, yeah, mixed with a fat recipe for soap, right? Uh, so she had this big, like, crazy brick of, like, yellow-looking soap, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Like, what is this lady doing? She's putting a spell on me, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I get in there. It, things can be two things. Maybe it was both. A little bit of healing, a little bit of spells. So, it yeah, fun. it was just like, it was just blowing my mind you know i'm just like well this is i've been to the doctor before you know like this is not the dentist like yeah and so you know <laughs> she's talking to me she's talking to my mom and then she sends i think it was her her niece or her granddaughter maybe she's like baby go get me a potato out the kitchen and i'm like what is she gonna do with the potato <laughs> like <laughs> right i'm like uh, i'd like french fries you know baked potatoes yeah. are cool 
And then she takes the potato and, and she said, no, she said, baby, get me a potato and a knife. And I'm like, what? Oh boy. She's, she's making dinner. Like well, yeah, I thought she was bringing my burn. So she gets it, you know, she takes the knife, cuts the potato, and then she puts the open, the cut in of the potato on my chest. Uh-huh. And this was maybe a, maybe a day or two after they actually burned myself. So, you know, how you still have that residual heat. Yeah. Yeah. It's still radiating. Yeah. Yeah. It, it immediately went away. Uh, right. And so I'm looking at her. She, like, holding the potato. I, I don't, I don't know the science, Yeah. but I know what happened. Right. All of that heat was, it seemed like the potato just kind of, it was drawn to it all as if the root was pulling it, extracting it out of me. Yeah. Right. And I look at her, I look at my mom, I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Like, you just put oh. french fries on my chest. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like my the paradigm had was already broken, man. From that point, yeah. I was like, oh, what? There's other ways of doing things. There's other ways of doing it, man. I was like, oh, the plants can heal. You know, and then she had an aloe vera plant. I had never seen. Yeah. I thought it was a cactus. I was like, yeah. oh, it looks like a cactus. What's this juicy shit coming out of it? Yeah. She made a salve, wiped that on my chest, explained to my mom how to like take care of it, gave me gauze and bandages, sent me on my way. Yeah. Like, Whoa. Okay. And so my mom was doing all the, you know, treatment on the wound and all that stuff, like let it air out, let it get, you know, she told us how to go about it. And, you know, it was, the thing was summertime. So I was outside with my chest off. Like, yeah. yeah a wound i'm cool you know <laughs> I, I yeah. gotta eat my french fries yeah but so that just like really just opened my eyes to uh to plant medicine mm-hmm. you know from that early age i was i was a believer if you will you know it's like oh yeah okay yeah we grow squash and stuff in the backyard i know garlic's good for me yeah you know what i mean so it was just it just i started piecing all this stuff together and by the time i was 15 like like 1999 Y2K, uh, I became vegetarian vegan. You know, that was like, it felt like a light years ago, you know, but yeah. that was before it was veganism, vegetarianism was what it is now. Like, you yeah, didn't have, it was trending. Yeah, you didn't have ve- vegetarian options outside of like uh, your neighborhood co ops, like Rainbow Natural Foods, Seven Under. Yeah. That was pretty better. much about it, you know. Yeah. If you weren't growing it, you yeah. weren't, gonna, you know. Yeah. So yeah, like I got, you know, I started real early, right as that that whole Y2K thing was happening. I remember counting into the year 2000, and I was vegetarian. Yeah. I remember, I remember counting into the year 2000 while my dad was hoarding frozen astronaut food like a psychopath, <laughs> thinking the world was gonna end. And okay. we ended up with a, a decade's worth of yeah. fried ice cream after that. What is it? Uh, MREs, the military. Yeah, like, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I love the novelty of it, though. It was like, let me just grab a bar of ice cream to hold at room temperature and nibble on. Have you have you tasted the MRE stuff before? I've tried a little bit. Yeah, it was surprisingly oh not bad. But I tried this brownie. Well, my dad was in the military, yeah, so he had you know a few, more exposure. To I don't it. know. I don't know what they put in those brownies, but. It's like you drink a gallon of water afterwards. I don't know. Yeah, you <laughs> us. It's basically like I was like, yeah. "What is this?" It I think repurpose the darkest color sawdust we have. Yeah, we'll say it's brownie batter. Yeah, so we got this peat moss uh, and some sugar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, but yeah, man, that was that's my journey. Uh, so yeah, so 
from being 15. And I, I grew up in Clarkston, which is, I believe, one of the most diverse cities in the U.S. Yeah. It's a refugee resettlement city since like the early 80s. It's been zoned as that. Yeah. So that's that's where I grew up, man. So I grew up literally with, you know, I think I think in our high school, we had at least 50 different languages spoken. I There's something. Yeah. So I grew up basically like in the U.N., you know, yeah. it was like, yeah. So you can and most of the places, sadly, what's that? So you can see how like Southern people work with okra, but you can also see how like Burmese people work with okra, exactly. everything exactly. in between. Yeah, man. And you know, what was really great about the school systems there, at least at that time was like, they, they did a really good job at like uh, cultural cross-pollination. Yeah. So we, we would have a day where it would be like Vietnamese day. Everything was Vietnam. The Vietnamese parents would come. So you got to meet people's like grandparents. Yeah. They, they wore their traditional clothes. They brought like amazing spreads of food, music. And then like two weeks later, it'd be like Somali day. Yeah. And then two weeks later, it's Ethiopia day. Two weeks later, and, and, you know, and it was just like, you know, just getting just bombarded by culture, man. You know? Yeah. And so it was a really cool place to just learn. And the only, the only like, I guess like, odd part about it was like most of the people were my socio-political awareness was keen from a little boy yeah because most of these people were from war-torn countries that america had a hand in yeah sure stabilized so like i didn't know where the hell kosovo was yeah when bill clinton was in office but i met people from there they were yeah. my friends yeah herzegovina bosnia serbs it was just like where is this place and then i that was the first time i saw you know people of light melanin skin that were Muslim. I was like, what? <laughs> there's, there's like non-brown Muslims in the world. Like what? Yeah. How, what's Throwing the story? off every preconceived notion you could possibly have. Yeah. From the so people. it just, it broke all of that like bullshit programming of America. Yeah. All the things that they tell you, Oh, well, this group is like this and that group, you don't be around them. All, yeah. that, all those lies were just totally erased. Uh-huh. You know, and it's like, we all played soccer. Like, who you gonna hate when your whole team is the world? Like yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? exactly. So it just yeah, it was like a really unique experience, man. I, that I really like appreciate and value. Like I, I wasn't, I would I wasn't allowed to like dislike anybody. They were all my friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? So like, notion more people should probably have and get exposed to at an early age. But but in that, I got to eat some of the best food in the I world. Don't doubt it, bro. So many aunties like. <laughs> grandma's cook for us it was yeah, crazy it's a real deal stuff. yeah so you know just your your taste buds evolve when you're eating food from literally the world like yeah i can just go to my friend's house i remember the first time i went to uh, i had ethiopian food i had a good friend named benium you know i got on the bus rode back to his house i'm like yeah it's my homie benium we gotta eat as soon as i got off the bus as we started walking up his driveway smell it I could smell. I was like, yo, yeah, what? Your eBay smell. Yo, I was like, what is that smell, bro? I was like, yeah. what is that? He's like, oh, that's probably onions. And I was like, okay, what are y'all, what's, who's cooking? Like, what's going on? They're bro, always we opened the door. They, we opened the front door and my eyes immediately started burning from yeah. the onion. It was that yeah. soap of onion, bro. <laughs> yeah, because they basically cook them down until they're like a paste. And that's what's used to thicken all the gravies. Exactly, man. Exactly. So, you know, literally walking just experiencing the, the culture like literally yeah. from the door and then we had the buna the coffee ceremony you know yeah yeah 
yeah, his grandma laid it all out. This family, we sat down. I was like, yo, this is dope. Like, can I come back tomorrow? Like, yeah, y'all do this every day. Like, so, you know, it was just like, it just really opened my mind and my eyes to like the world over and people's relationship with like food yeah, and, and plants and medicine and culture. And, and so, yeah, I guess all of that, like nurturing in my youth, I it made, it made me into an ethnobotanist. I was just curious about, you know, ethno meaning people and groups, ethnic groups and botany, just that relationship and coming from it, uh, coming to it as like from the traditional medicine, shamanism uh, aspect, you know, and that's what led me to Ghana. I studied there uh, for nine months and it was an amazing experience. And that was the first time I actually got to manage uh, actual farm. Yeah. Uh, my mentor there, uh, his mother fell ill, so he had to come back to the U.S. And he left me with enough cash to pay the employees with a whole list of things to do to make sure I could keep cash flow coming in while he's gone. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, no. The pressure is on. I have to, like, make money for you. Like, what? <laughs> like, and, you know, but he knew I could I handle it. the situation because if you had messed it up for him, you would have been a goner. <laughs> Good job, Jerry. <laughs> You got to do that pregnant pause for a second. Yeah, they, they got it right. <laughs> but yeah, that was the first time I actually got to see what management looked like. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, I had grown things and, you know, knew how to grow, grow, grow vegetables and stuff. But it's like when you get to the level of management, it, it, it changes. Absolutely. You know? It's like, oh, wow. Like, okay, there's employees. I have to make sure they're paid on time. Like, yeah. there's a product I've got to deliver to you know, three hours away bus ride to get it and get the money, get it back. Cause you know, yeah, you're used to just family. doing the basic work, like same with cooks and a restaurant transition yeah. to chefs and things like you're used to, I just, you know, tend to the plant and pick the stuff when it's ready. But then yeah. you realize all the other stuff that you have to do. And you're like, wow, I barely have any time to get to the growing part of it. That's yeah. the crucial part of everything, but yeah, it's not so easy. It was a great experience. You know, I'm still trying to get back over to Ghana to buy land and yeah. start a whole new operation and just be this like transient farmer <laughs> on, yeah. on two continents. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, I was, I wouldn't take that experience back from anything. It, it allowed me to see that I could make a living from my own talents and skill. That was yeah. the first, I was 27. The first time I actually like was self-employed where I, on my own, uh, energy my own work is how I ate yeah and that just like from that point forward I was like yeah I don't think I can work for anyone anymore yeah I, I, I hear that yeah I was like I don't I have enough talent and skill and uh, belief in myself to to push myself into entrepreneurship like yeah because you'll never like, have all the answers to be exactly you know, a thorough entrepreneur but if you have the desire the motivation and the work ethic to at least try to figure it out every single day then oh, that already separates you from the pack in a lot of ways so yeah i got i got my bug there man i was like oh so i was you know sometimes i get downtime from studying while i was there and i would just sit like right on the beach yeah and just you know, kind of talk to the spiritual world if you will and yeah you know i made an agreement with the spirit world that, you know, if, if they were, if they saw fit for me to be able to do this in the U.S., some sort of form of agricultural business that, you know, I just made a pact that 
if they bless me enough to be able to do that, that it would never become about me. Mm -hmm. Right. That it would, it would always have to be a bigger uh, purpose than just me having success and me being the shit and yeah. look at me, I'm the best farmer, but it had to be more about a bigger picture, like the community, like the, being, being able to display to a new generation, like, Hey, there's, there's a livelihood here, right? You can get to the point where you can hire other people, you know, and yeah. hopefully better your community yeah. all the while, yeah. you know? Like I always wondered, like, if there was a way for me to measure how many people I feed a month. Yeah, you know? that would be interesting. Well, you just gotta hide some microchips in the food. Yeah, <laughs> just chip everybody. Yeah, like, just enjoy. I you told know? you, I was giving you chips and salsa. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I didn't lie. You're on a run, man. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, you know, things like that that just sort of changed my like approach to agriculture, not just like this, like, you know, take what I can from the land and sell it. Yeah. But looking at it as a regenerative practice, regenerating my relationship with the land, because, you know, we, we're all familiar with the, hopefully, the history of America. Yeah. My people traumatized through the land. Yeah. You know, so it's like reestablishing this connection that is not centered around trauma. Yeah. Something that's on a more positive note that's, yeah. you know, centered around community and growth and progress. And so that's, that's, yeah. So that's my driving force into agriculture. That's how I approach it. It's like, how do I bring my medicinal, cultural, shamanic, traditional medicine, holistic approach to you know, uh, market gardening. Yeah. You know, and that's where I try to like bridge those worlds, if you will, to make it successful. Cause you know, I, when I came back to the U S I was like, man, what am I going to do? I can't sell roots and leaves and barks to people. Like this is going to be a hard, <laughs> like <Hell. laughs> Americans do not want this for the most part. Like they yeah. want the pill, they want the magic pop pill, drink water. Yeah. So it's like, all right, I've got to try to like find a way to take, my passion and my education and apply it to meet people where they are, right? Because, you know, kale, tomatoes, all those things are medicine too. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, okay, well, I'll meet people where they are. And then if I, if there is room for more discussion on how plants heal you, then I'll share the, the roots and I'll share the herbs and I'll share the like spiritual approach and things. But I yeah. just try to meet people where they are in that, you know? Yeah, it's almost the same thing with restaurant guests. Like, sure, there's a lot of the message that I'd like to convey to every single guest who walks through the door about our approach to food, why we source the way we do, yeah. why, you know, I think it's important that we pay our staff's health care and try to give a better, you know, work situation for people, a better work-life balance. Why do we push to be the best iterations of ourselves every day? where's the backstory do they know about the pop-up do they you know all the things but not everybody's a receptive crowd ultimately like some people don't want all that they're not looking for all that and you're never going to be able to sell them on it if they're not open to it but if you get some people you know who will at least try something that you're doing and appreciate it then you start to you know have more conversations with them as time goes on you start to notice your regular guests at the market like okay this guy is starting to buy from us every week or every other week he started to recognize the face and the conversation becomes a little more familiar and exactly man. That's, yeah. when, that's when you sell them on the barks exactly i can i can upsell them on the tree bar yeah 
I know you're after asparagus, but I'll <laughs> offer you a few nice leaves instead. But yeah, that's, I, I do kind of like, hold on one second. Uh, plug in my weird lighting shift again. Uh, uh, no, I was getting some juice. It was getting low on battery. Oh yeah. But yeah, that's kind of what I try to do with the market garden uh, sort of like approach at farmers markets. It's like, all right, man, I've got this like unique experience of like trying all these different foods and all these different plants from like, man, I was like nine, 10 years old already, like deep into like Southeast, Southeast Asian cuisine, uh, you know, yeah. whether it be Indian, Thai, like I was already just steeped in that. So it's like, all right, well, cool. Let me try to bring this culture familiarity into like the Southern staples at the farmer's market. It's like, all right, well, how can I do that? Like, how can I meet people where it's not so far removed where they're like, what the fuck is this spiky plant? Like, I, how do I eat this? I think that's how we make a lot of our guests feel. They're like, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> Dish printed on the, what are all these things? Why are you mixing this with that? And it's like, yeah, please just trust me just try it exactly man exactly but yeah that's what i try to you know my little like addition to the pile of like farmers and stuff it's like you know if you come to me i'm probably going to give you something you may not have seen or heard or a different color or yeah i'm always trying something new to see like like oh, okay cool maybe i can turn atlanta's taste buds onto water spinach yeah like you know like growing loofah and things that you don't necessarily eat but hey you're going to wash your your body you're going to wash dishes with it right so yeah. you know being able to like incorporate those kinds of things into uh the culinary experience for people you know yeah well, that's good i think it comes across there's definitely a kineticism in your food for sure i mean there's a an energy to the products that come in you know that we work with and that's you know part of why i work with a lot of the same farmers over and over again as you kind of like a word you've used before, it's the reverberation in a way that you get from people, the energy of their personality can come across and the ingredients they grow and for a place like us in the food that we cook. Um, I don't know, there's a, a former employee that we used to have who's still a, a good friend of ours, um, who's Korean, and she was telling me about a term uh, in particular with our food because it's very hard to categorize. To me, it's, I consider it a Southern restaurant, right? Cause we buy all of our fresh product from Southern farms. But if yeah. you tell somebody it's a Southern restaurant, they expect, you know, fried chicken, breaded catfish, yeah. yeah, fried chicken and collard greens, chow, chow, whatever, yeah. which isn't what we do. So, you know, it can be confusing to people, but she was telling me that what she thinks about the food or she associates whatever genre we tackle at a given moment that she can always recognize it's our food and it's from this korean term that i'm probably butchering the pronunciation so if i am i'm sorry to anybody listening please don't hate me but i think it's called son mat is the term and it means basically like hand flavor and the idea behind it is i give you a recipe i have the same one and we both make it and then we taste each other's final dish it's the same recipe the same dish whatever but it'll taste differently because of stone mat the way that we make it the Your unique you know, thing it's yeah. unique thing that's different to everybody and that that comes across in growing produce cooking food yeah. making terrible jokes about yeah. chips and salsa well you know not to get like too metaphysical but that's that is a vibration and that's spirit that's love you know 
And that's that's what I saw in you. And I saw it in your staff, like your staff, cool as shit. Like I forget everybody's name, but every yep. time I come in, I especially, yeah, especially as a non a non Caucasian person, you know, some you know, especially it's like I go into places where it's just like all white, all white, yeah, yeah. All, and it's just like, well, damn, can is anybody from my tribe around here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like when I come there, I don't feel black. You know, you got It's not like you don't see my color, but I don't feel that you yeah. see me as other, right? Yeah, exactly. You get what I'm saying? To me, that's really important, like, because it's rare, man. It's, it, I don't get that enough, you know, yeah. when I go to different establishments. And I, and I noticed that. That's why I'm giving you kudos to, like, choosing your staff in a way where it, it, they do have, it's a love resonance. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's personality based for sure with hiring. It's like, you know, is this person going to fit in to the mentality and kind of the core ethos that we want to have here, which is a place of warmth and hospitality and generosity and hard work and dedication and all yeah. the intangibles. And then beyond that, will this person put up with my horrible jokes 60 hours a week? <laughs> That's another <laughs> crucial aspect of it yeah but yeah man I, you know again i appreciate that because it isn't you don't get that enough in our industry sadly well thank you i appreciate yeah. you noticing yeah man for sure and it's like okay those are the people that i can put my put what's the what's the old saying where it's like put my carriage with your carriage and some shit like that yeah <laughs> i don't know that expression but i like where it's going yeah but <laughs> or circle the wagon i don't know man some yeah shit like <laughs> So but yeah, it's like okay, these people I don't feel uncomfortable being and expressing my fullness to. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's it feels like, very natural. You know, you can walk yeah. in and just say like, okay, I have to be, I can be myself. It's not like I have to walk in and put on like my farmer businessman face and be like, okay, here I am with the delivery, and I'll just take the check and leave. It's like exactly. you can, you just, you just like it because we feed you little snacks though. Oh man, that's the perks of the. <laughs> I'm like, what's what's that smell over there? <laughs> like, yeah, but yeah, man. Like, no joke. Not to be blowing smoke up you, man. But everything you've let me try has been like this, like experience in the mouth. It's like everything's just like, whoa, what flavor? What is that? Like, that's why I always ask you, like, how do you do this magic? We're you know, doing like, we're doing like the food equivalent of like movie trailers. You know, they put all the best yeah. stuff into two and a half minutes. And the rest <laughs> of the movie is just awful. Every time you like, come, I, we're like we have a good thing, give it to Chris. Let him try. It. So he still thinks we're really good at this. <laughs> no, man, it's just like you got it, man. You you know how to utilize the flavors and the the medicine in the plants, yeah. like you, the way you bridge them together and you create this like experience. There's that old, that old adage: if it if it grows together, it goes together. Old Southern phrase. Uh, okay. That's another big thing, you know. We get that a lot. Of people are like, "Oh, I don't know, like a, a strawberry with a turnip or something." It's like, yeah, they got pulled out of the same person's time, farm yeah. just now at the same time. They came out together. They're they're already BFFs. We've yeah. ripped them from the earth and ruined their plant lives. Yeah, at the same time. <laughs> traumatized them and now they're here on my cutting board and i'm just gonna cut them up and cook them and put them together <laughs> it makes yeah, sense. That's, a, that's a really cool approach man i like that i didn't think about it that way that's that's really cool yeah that's the big thing we we do a lot even if it seems weird if it grows together it goes together no i mean i'm all i'm like i said man from my early upbringing i've tried some stuff where i'm like what is that yeah. <laughs> like i don't know i can't pronounce it i don't know what's in it 
Yeah. It feels good, but yeah. give me a like <laughs> yeah. you know, I've always been like now it's a it's a little harder with me being vegan and stuff, but yeah, I can still try some wild stuff. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's right. There's new new plants all over the world. We we barely scratched the surface on edibles. Yeah, know? sure, for sure. But and that's the uh, that's the approach, man. It's like I just look for that love vibration, man. It's like, all right, these are these are folks that we can we can party together. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I mean, you say that now, but I'm not cool. So you would probably not want to party with me, trust me. Or at least don't bring me to your parties. Everybody would be like, who brought this? I'll, just pull, I'll just pull out the acoustic guitar. We'll jam, man. Yeah, yeah. there it is. We'll just do that. <laughs> yeah. Wait, why is there a guy in the corner here playing like Taylor Swift songs in the middle of this cool person party? Nah, we'll play something cooler like Weezer or something like that, man. <laughs> is that cool? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, I'm not sure what's jiggy, you know? It's not, my, <laughs> it's not my thing. But yeah, man, it's like, I'm, I'm trying to think, did we forget to talk about something really important? I'm sure we did, but, you know, we're both approachable, we're accessible. Anybody listening to this, if you want to hear us babble another time, just uh, slide into the Georgia Organics DMs and pester them to have us on as guests again. Yeah, we should... Uh... We should do something ongoing, man. I think yeah. um, starting this conversation of bridging these two worlds of like the industry, yeah, uh, to make the relationship stronger, man. I think is is long overdue. Yeah, and hopefully we can be an example of what that could look like. You know, yeah, as we you know battle the pandemic brought us together. You know, that's right. But you know what I mean. So I'm not today, to- Satan. Nice try, but it- yeah. <laughs> Manage to stay friends after all and come. Yeah, to- at least I can see you without a mask, though. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. As long as- yeah, we've only known each other like this. That's know? true. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I had, I had to get my eye implants before, uh, before yeah. all this, so people would think that I had nice eyes. Like, ugh, they're so plump. I can, I can really see the emotion in them. What are, what are some of your goals for this year with the restaurant? What, what are you trying to do that's new? Um, I mean, honestly, at this point, like surviving yeah. is priority number one. Long-term plans are largely behind behind us now, but we're reopening in May with a, still a limited capacity. Our whole staff will be vaccinated, so we'll feel comfortable and uh, we're not going to open with a full capacity. Again, our restaurant only seats 30. It's really small. That's max capacity. Um, and we're, we're just going to ignore the governor lifting all the restrictions and keep pacing things out for a little while. So I think really what we want to do this year is, you know, it's kind of a rare chance for a a second first impression in a weird way. It's like, we're jokingly calling it our grand reopening. Uh, that's sort of what's, (laughs) what the plan is like, you know, we felt like we opened really well, all things considered, it was we put so much thought and effort into how we plan everything from the order of which to get permits so that we could open like with our alcohol license, with everything from day one, you know, we never had to present an incomplete version of the restaurant to anybody. Yeah. We only had two weeks of it. So, you know, we got a chance where we felt like as a staff, we were all doing a good job. There's always room for growth, but we felt like it was a great start. And then it was immediately over. So now we have the chance to do that again. And we have our own standards we want to live up to. So now the goal is like, we don't want to be like so many of the other places that have just been like, 
we just need to reopen. We're just going to open. And like, they haven't worked out the kinks. Things aren't smooth, you know, and people are forgiving because obviously they understand the situation, but we want to reopen like gangbusters, you know? So that's, that's the goal is like come out May 5th, reopen and just be great at what we do. We're not trying to be like a, you know, Michelin three-star fancy restaurant, like redoing what you think of food. We're just trying to do what we do well, which is making like upscale cuisine more affordable and approachable really and featuring local ingredients and being creative. We just want to do that and do it well, provide good service and just kind of figure it out from there. Really. That's, that's the main thing for now. So, yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Trying to think, um, what are some some challenges that you you've seen dealing with farmers on the sourcing side? What are what are some room for improvement on our side? Well, how can we improve? I mean, honestly, I, this year in particular, I feel like the farmers have just been coming through in clutch so many ways because you know it's in like you, there's always been product available when you know some weeks we couldn't get gloves because there's like no latex or nitrile gloves available anymore like you know mm-hmm. things that you never thought before that you took for granted but the farmers were always there for us there was always product i mean i think for me the biggest thing is like the midwinter and midsummer lulls are always rough but yeah. you know it's the same for the farmers there's just not a lot that grows when it's you know the conditions are so extreme but that's what we use our pantry for you know we put stuff up towards the end of you know the more bountiful seasons and when you don't have as much of the fresh product you just find a way around it with you know piecing it together with things that you've preserved or put up or whatever and 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 make it work you know yeah that persimmon i guess it was a spread or a jam what what was it is a spread kind of yeah i guess it was like a somewhere in between a salsa and a jam, I guess. It was kind of like a jam that we didn't, we didn't add like pectin or anything like that to. Okay. But yeah, it was just sort of like, it was a relish more than anything, but we fermented it. So, you know, it had like a preservation okay. aspect to it. Um, yeah, we don't have any of that left anymore, unfortunately. But yeah, we, you know, we did things like that where you just end up with well, something. We made yeah. more this year, you know, it was great. Yeah. Yeah, I never had anything like it. I was like, "Oh man, what? Jared is the man." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "He can turn all this stuff into like magic." <laughs> yeah, that was like it was a spicy one, right? Huh? Was it? Yeah, yeah. spicy one, right? Yeah, it was the one with like chilies and persimmon yeah. and green garlic and stuff like that. Fermented it. Yeah. Cool, man. I appreciate, man. That's that like being able to take that raw material and turn it into an experience. Yeah that's like the you're like the ultimate like pitch for my product you know what i mean yeah. it's like hey hey man uh help me market this like weird thing <laughs> like yeah yeah exactly you know what i mean because it's like you guys just step up every time and it's like you turn it into this thing where i'm like whoa i didn't how did you even see yeah, that? For, for better or for worse we're not afraid to cook whatever yeah. the hell we want which isn't always what the customers want but we try our best to sell it anyway yeah. Did I, did I bring the water spinach last year for you? I don't think so, but I, I've had some before, just not very okay. regularly, but yeah. I'll bring some for you to try it out, man. I'm yeah. going to try to push that. Like each year I'm like pushing it harder and harder. Like, you're going to eat this. 
Yeah, it's yeah. a summer green. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, man. But it is kind of hard to get the seed because they're all mainly coming from like China, yeah. Taiwan, and uh, yeah, yeah. But and it's also invasive, so I don't even know if we're supposed to even get that seed. <laughs> 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 but uh, you gotta love Amazon, right? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> you can get anything you want. <laughs> And no, they didn't pay us uh, for that. Drop. Yeah, sponsored. <laughs> they ought to do that. Yeah, yeah. That's the the Georgia Foodcast, sponsored by Amazon. Yeah, but yeah. I want to thank uh, Georgia Organics too, man. Yeah. For, uh, Thanks for having us on. Yeah, I'm glad people think that we're worth listening to. And uh, while I do have, however many people hear this uh, conversation, yeah, I just really got to double. We're up to two, two listeners. Yeah. Yes, so, just you know. me, me and you are gonna listen later. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I do want to take this time while I do have a bit of a platform to sort of like, you know, put a little push into people uh, in a way that they can help farmers and in doing so help restaurants, help chefs. And that's legalization, right? And we're talking about cannabis Mm-hmm. even cannabis indica we're not just cbd but fully legal the way that like i believe in the last two weeks four states have done um aspects of legalization uh, yeah that's up to what like 18 or 19 total or something like that at this point well that's that's full legalization but as far as like you know whether it's like recreational or medicinal i think we're over 40 now yeah so yeah we're what, what is that 80 percent of the states at least yeah have level of legalization and i really want to see how geo and how the supporters of geo can make that a reality for georgia farmers yeah because i think it'll it'll solve a couple different things right it'll hopefully lure in new growers right the same way it did in oregon right yeah what you saw what the trend was just like everyone rushed in to grow cannabis to make money and then in doing so they started growing more tomatoes started growing more kale yeah, they started growing all these other things because now they had funding. Right? Yeah. It's, oh, I can buy a cedar now. Like, cool. Yeah. Can, yeah. <laughs> so it was a way for people to finance their own growth and their own industries, you know. And hopefully, we can turn Georgia back into an agricultural state with yeah. that. That has, that's what it's for lack of a less painfully obvious pun where its roots are. Exactly, man. So, and also too, that's part of the healing with persons of color, you know, brown and black folk mainly uh, that have been traumatized through their relationship with the land. You know, whether that was slavery, indentured servitude, sharecropping, uh, minor, uh, what is it called? Migrant farmers. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's like you got all this bad history, all this bad experience. And there's a way to sort of like, uh, you know, apologize for all of that. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, we're opening this industry. We're going to give you all first dibs on it yeah no questions asked yeah (laughs) yeah exactly the grand reopening right yeah and to me that's a way to like sort of right the wrongs that we're perpetually systematically still suffering from you know and you know that's one of the things i'm really pushing on geo it's like all right let's get this policy going where we can push whatever legislators whatever governors and whoever whoever we need to push and put pressure on to really let's do it yeah yeah, it makes no sense that Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi is legal, but Atlanta, Georgia, you can get in trouble. Yeah. 
Tupelo, yeah. Mississippi, it's legal. Atlanta, Georgia, I might get in trouble. I know. Something, something's wrong, man. That's all I'm saying. I know. I know. <laughs> something's wrong. Like, how did, how did Mississippi beat us, guys? Like, come on. Yes, like, yes. <laughs> And that's not to like, that's not to like, you know, down Mississippi folks. I got family and friends there too, but I'm yeah. just saying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I'm not saying, I'm just saying kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we got to get our act together, man. And I feel like that's a way to like, you know, sort of mend a lot of like wounds. Yeah. Is being All able that. to get into that industry and really change your economic status, you know? Yeah, you're yeah, that's, that's what I'm, I'm advocating for. I'm, I'm pushing Geo. You know, I've talked to, you know, the people at the top, like Alice and all of them, like, hey, man, uh, can we whisper this into the commissioner's ear? Can we, like, yeah. who, who do we need to lobby? Like, <laughs> what's yeah. the approach to, like, just get it turned over, man? Because it's like, there's no excuse at this point. I don't, I don't see other than you want to continue the system that's already in place. Yeah. You know, and we know how, I'm going to use a swear word, we know how fucked up that system is, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, that, that's my little, like, you know, power to the people chant for today. It's like, can we all get on the same page and make this happen for agriculture? And then yeah. turn, everyone else will benefit from it. Yeah, well said. Yeah. They already but, turned the state blue. Just moved to a different color now. We'll just have to turn no, it I I want the state to be green. <laughs> you hear that? You hear that, Kemp? Yeah, yeah green, green, green with little orange hairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. yeah. Love it, man. Yeah, it's good to talk to you, Jared. Good to man. talk to you, too. Uh, go, go get some rest and get ready for the next day, bro. Yeah, you got it. You do the same thing, man. You I'll see you soon, good. man. All right, man. Have a good night. All right. Peace, bro. Bye. All right. Next, we're speaking with Pam Knox about Georgia's climate, why organic farming matters, and why the new administration in Washington is signaling meaningful change and commitments for farmers across the U.S. As the director of the UGA Weather Network, Pam and her team communicate intricate weather details that farmers rely on across 86 stations in Georgia. We spoke about her title, Agricultural Climatologist, and why climate must be central to agricultural discussions moving forward. Stay tuned. Welcome to this segment of the Atlanta Foodcast. I'm um, I'm joined with somebody really cool today. I'm pretty excited to be speaking with Pam Knox, who is the director of the UGA Weather Network, as well as an agricultural climatologist and an extension specialist with UGA. Um, Pam, you're one smart uh, person, and I'm very excited that, that we're here. We're going to hear from you on, on sort of some climate studies and some of the recent news out of Washington as affects Georgia farmers. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's really delightful to be here and talk to people who are producing the food that I like to eat. Yeah, amen. Well, well, walk us through what you do and how you came to do it, because agricultural climatologist is, is a term that I had not heard of before you. And I, I think you must be a bit of a rare bird in the, in the agriculture and cl climate sector. <laughs> <laughs> well, agricultural climatologist is a term that I sort of have made up for myself. There are some other ones I know of as well. Um, I started out as a meteorologist 
yeah. when I went to graduate school at the University of Wisconsin and uh, was working on a PhD and did not like the ocean model um, slash computer programming that I was doing. So the state climatologist job opened up there at the time. And I became the Wisconsin state climatologist for a long time. This is actually very similar to what I do now. I don't have that title anymore, obviously, but yeah. um, talking about weather data and climate data and how people can use it, providing it to other people who want to use it for whatever they happen to be working on. Sure. And, you know, it can range all over the place. People can be writing their autobiographies and want to know what the weather was like the day they were born, <laughs> or they want to know what the average uh, temperature conditions are for planting a garden, you know, yeah. or they might be planning to put solar in and they want to know something about solar energy. Yeah. So every, it's like being a reference librarian in a lot of ways, because you <laughs> never know what the next question is going to be. And so I've continued that over time. My husband is also a meteorologist. So we've done the two career couple thing for a while, oh, um, wow, gone back yeah. and forth. And we came to Georgia in 2001 for my job. And he came and he was Dr. Dad for a while, but now he's a full professor in the geography department. Oh, very um, cool. So that's worked out well, but uh, I have accumulated a lot of time as a climate person uh, since I started in Wisconsin and then coming here, uh, working as the assistant state climatologist for a while uh, in the engineering department. And now I'm in part of extension because the network that I, I maintain and manage is in extension. Uh, which okay. it, it makes sense because it's really a tool that a lot of farmers use. And yeah. so it's probably a good place to be. And extension is the outreach arm of the university. So it takes what's going on in all the different research departments around the university and then tries to translate that into mm -hmm. useful information that farmers can use to make decisions about, you know, what kind of crops they're going to grow, when they're going to plant them you know, how they're going to water them and so on. So, so I'm sort of standing in the middle there between uh, the research university and the extension outreach. Yeah. Yeah. It was really helpful when we were catching up before this, the way you framed it was being a, uh, an agricultural translator of climate information. And I think that's a really that's right. way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Translate. I mean, you know, cause most people that can't read the research articles very well. And so they don't know how to interpret that to, to yeah. make it more practical, I think. And I'm definitely a practical person. So I want to be able to take something that's maybe a little bit esoteric and putting yeah. it into terms that, that people can use. Yeah. And you do this, I know you, you mentioned you have a blog that, that we'll link to on the show notes and it looks very interesting. And it looks like that very, um, you know, high level information of data and, and also things, you know, policy and things like that, but relayed in a, in a more user-friendly um, every man speak. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, the point of my blog is not for me to write a lot of my own stuff. I do it on occasion when I think there's something that needs to be explained, but a lot of times what I'm trying to do is I've, I'm trying to show people here's a good source of information to get weather data or to, yeah. to get some sort of prediction about, you know, what's going to happen with El Nino or La Nina. Um, here's what the climate has been like for the last month or the last year. Um, and here's some research articles that I think are pretty interesting and you might enjoy reading about them. And so I'll um, yeah. try to do a variety of, and sometimes it's just cool things. Like last week yeah. I had one that was on clouds on Mars 
um, <laughs> the first pictures of clouds on Mars, because that's a cool thing. You know, it's not really exactly agriculture or climatology, but it's weather. It's just a, a cool, yeah, little diversion. Very cool. Yep. Well, I'd love yep. to talk about um, your recent work. When, when we first connected, it was through the Georgia Climate Project, and you were going to be speaking with Congress and um, via, you know, via Zoom, I suppose. And, um, you know, I'd love to find out what, from your perspective, is happening at the federal level. I know in our last episode of the Atlanta Foodcast, we spoke with the president of the American Farmland Trust, John Piotti, who, who said that there's really a lot of talk happening and that there's, there's, there's kind of some dollars lining up to back up that talk as far as advancing climate work and research and, um, and specifically within the farming space. So what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a very exciting time to be a climate person because for the last four years, really nobody uh, at the federal level wanted to talk about climate variability and climate change um, yeah. and how it impacted local economies or farming or whatever. That just wasn't something that was talked about at the federal level. And, and since we have the new administration now, there's been a much bigger focus on climate and agriculture and and all those related things. In fact, I got the call to, to testify before Congress right during the inauguration, like, you know, <laughs> wow. that hour. I know, it was amazing. And, <laughs> and so um, it nice tells you how quickly things, yeah, how quickly things are turning. Um, and since that time, um, in addition to the testimony I did before the House uh, Agriculture Committee, um, the Biden has has released the budget and there's a lot of money for climate related activities in a bunch of different agencies, including the Department of Agriculture. Um, yeah. Because, you know, climate probably affects agriculture more than almost any other uh, part of the economy. Right. And so um, it's clear that that's gonna be an important thing. And, and the thing about, about agriculture is that climate affects agriculture, but agriculture also affects climate. Yeah. And so, you know, there are things that agriculture can do and, you know, hopefully will be supported in doing now under the new administration that really weren't talked about much before. Yeah. And so those are things that, that there's going to be a lot more funding for that. Um, and, you know, either coming from the Department of Agriculture or through Department of Commerce, which is where the Weather Service is, or yeah. through other organizations within the, within the federal um, government. So all of those things it's a very exciting time. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of potential there, I think, to really provide some good information that farmers can use. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what was the information you were presenting while you were testifying to Congress? And what was the reception to it? I think overall, it was a positive reception. Of course, you know, everyone's got their own agenda. And so you have to keep in mind who's asking the questions. Sure. But uh what I tried to convey was that agriculture has to be in the discussion when we're talking about how to deal with a changing climate because it's going to affect them in so many ways and because agriculture has a lot to bring to the table. So yeah. when I talk about you know, how, the, how the climate is affecting agriculture, we can talk about things like uh, the temperatures going up over time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for most farmers, they don't, if it, the temperature goes up a degree, it doesn't really sound like a lot. But it has a lot of other impacts because it will affect things like when the frost, last frost of spring occurs. Yeah, uh, will affect 
how hot it gets in the summer. And, you know, that's important not only uh, for crops, but it's important for livestock because they don't yeah. really like hot temperatures. And it's important for people that have to work outside. Yeah. And so if we have more heat waves, that's definitely going to be an impact for them. And if we have a longer growing season, we're going to have to deal with a lot more insect diseases and insect pests and farmers have to deal with that stuff, yeah. um, whether you do it organically or conventionally. Yeah. And so it costs money to, to really be able to, to deal with that. And hopefully some of the research that's going to be coming out of this is better ways to do it that are also more economically uh, viable for producers, especially the small ones that don't have huge budgets. Um, yeah. At the same time, also talked about how agriculture is affecting climate. You know, it's especially conventional agriculture, they put out a lot of fertilizers, um, that nitrogen can create nitrous oxide, which is one of the greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Um, if you go in and cut down tropical rainforests, or if you drain wetlands, you're releasing carbon dioxide and methane into the atmosphere. And both of those things um, also are greenhouse gases and contribute to the atmosphere getting warmer. And yeah. so agriculture has a lot of direct impacts on that. Um, and so, you know, better ways of doing agriculture will reduce the amount of greenhouse gas that's going in. I mean, really the goal here is to not get it into the atmosphere in the first place. Yeah. If you get it into the atmosphere, then of course you have to work on trying to get it out. And there's other management techniques that you can do in, in agriculture that can help sequester carbon that's in the air and put it back into the soil. And yeah. people who do regenerative agriculture are really good at that. Um, but uh, prefer to not have to even put it out in the first place because it's much yeah. harder to get out than it is to keep from getting in in the first place. Yeah. And so, you know, you talk about things like um, reduction of food waste. You know, there's a tremendous amount of greenhouse gas emissions that come from people that buy food and then they just toss it. It goes bad, they toss it. And it, as it goes through the landfill and creates more methane, that all gets into the atmosphere. So if you can compost it instead, yeah. uh, the chemical reactions are a little bit different. And so um, that's something that reduces the amount of greenhouse gases as well. Yeah. And, and um, you know, so all of those are different ways that, that farmers are really an important part of the process, both in having to deal with the effects of changing climate, but also in how we can respond to um, future changes. Sure, sure. Well, you know, what are some of those resources? I know, and, and I'd love to speak a little further about the UGA Weather Network, because, you know, it was something I wasn't familiar with, but I'm sure many of our farmers are aware, you know, it is very site-specific monitoring of weather conditions. Um, tell us a little bit more about what that resource is for folks who might not be aware. Sure. Um, University of Georgia has had a weather network starting in 1991, which makes uh, it almost exactly 30 years oh, old, which yeah. is pretty good. It's one of the yeah. oldest net weather networks in the United States, uh, not the oldest, but one of the oldest. And we have 87 stations as of today. It's going down to 86 later this week. Uh, they're scattered all across the state, and they all measure um, weather things like temperature and precipitation and humidity. Um, and wind speed and direction. They, and they also measure some other things that are not really so familiar, things like soil temperature and soil moisture yeah. um, and solar radiation. And all those things are important because, you know, when you're planting, you don't want to put seed in the ground when it's too cold. 
because then it will just sit there, it will probably rot. So, so when you're planting something like peanuts, you probably wouldn't put the seed into the ground until the ground was about 65 degrees. Yeah. And how are you going to monitor that? Well, you can go around and stick a thermometer in the ground and some people do that. Um, yeah. But we do have this network that provides a way for people to see how the temperatures are increasing in the, in the soil. And we have it at three different levels in the soil, um, depending on how deep you're going to be planting um, to keep track of that. And so, um, you know, that's good. Plus, if the soil is really dry, then, of course, you're more likely to be worried about drought, um, which is something that I spend a lot of time talking to folks about. Even folks that don't want to talk about climate change always want to talk about drought. And so that's always a good way to um, access a conversation with anybody that's a farmer, um, yeah. regardless of what their politics are or anything like that. Um, so keeping a track of that and then, you know, that can help if you have irrigation. It doesn't have to be the really big irrigation equipment either. A lot of small farmers can do irrigation as well, mm -hmm. um, either using a farm pond or a smaller well or something like that. But you need to know how much water is there. And so having a soil moisture monitoring um, network can help with that. Yeah. And so yeah. that's that. those are all things that are really important, um, just monitoring for all the different things and how they change over time. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. You know, you bring up something that I think is, is very interesting being in Georgia. I'm sure that you work with, um, with farmers who are across the political spectrum and, and have varying beliefs or lack of belief in climate change. What are, you know, what are those conversation points? What are those bridges like you're referencing with drought? Um, that help really relay the importance of the conditions that we're facing? Well, you know, farmers have to make decisions based on a lot of different things. I just really look at weather, but they also have to look at the market. They yeah. have to look at, um, you know, what's, what's going on as far as imports and exports go. Uh, they have to know the chemistry of all these chemicals they're working with. Um, even if they're organic chemicals, you know, you still have to know how to use them properly. And so um, all of those, all those decisions fall in together. And some of the points that I think are really important to make are that the, the climate is, is varying, but you still have to deal with the year to year variability. And yeah. a lot of the suggestions for improving uh, how much climate is, or how much carbon dioxide is put into the atmosphere or other greenhouse gases are things that are gonna save the farmer's money anyway. Yeah. For example, if you, if you grow ground cover um, and you really maintain uh, better soil moisture because of that, and you reduce the amount of erosion, you're going to save money because you're not going to have to put as much fertilizer in, you're not going to have to irrigate as much, um, and your soil is going to produce better. And so that's really a win-win uh, for everyone. And so, um, you know, if you're growing other things, then you might be able to um, plant them a little different time of year if it's getting a little warmer. And that maybe means they'll grow two, two crops instead of one, um, yeah. depending on how much longer it is. But double cropping um, is another way that people can adapt to that. Another way is, is to grow new crops. In mm -hmm. Georgia, the past decade or so, we started to grow olives. You know, olives really? is not a crop yeah. you think of in Georgia, but uh, they don't grow them quite like they do in Italy or yeah. Greece or Spain. Yeah. But they do grow them here in the southeast part of the state, and that's expanding um, because they have new ways of dealing with that. But in the old days, you know, it probably would have been too cold. 
And yeah. now with warmer wow. temperatures, it opens up more possibilities. We're also seeing more growth of cold hardy citrus like satsumas, which are kind yeah. of like little tangerine. Yeah. Um, and the advantage for them is that you can sell them locally within the state and it's a, a local product. So you can really get a premium price for those. Yeah. Um, and so that's a, that's kind of a market thing, but it's also an advantage if you can grow them here, you don't have to transport them as far. Um, so there's all these new crops that are starting to pop up or, you know, new hybrids, of course, are, are always being developed and will continue to be developed to take advantage of warmer temperatures and yeah. probably also drier conditions because as the temperatures get warmer, um, you get more evaporation from the soil and you also get more evaporation, evapotranspiration from the plants. Uh, uh -huh. They're soaking up soil or water from the soil and putting it out into the atmosphere. And so um, the humidity levels have been going up, but the soils have been getting a little drier, uh, which yeah. means that you really have to watch for drought much more carefully than you used to. And also spring seems to be getting a little bit earlier over time. Yeah. And as it does, the plants grow earlier so that demand for water starts earlier in the spring than it used to. Um, yeah. That means that growing season, you have to have water to get through that whole growing season. Um, some years, it's not too hard to do that. You get a lot of rain. Um, other years, it's very tough. And what we're finding with, with um, likely changes in climate, and we've already seen this, it's not just something that we expect in the future, that we're going to have more droughts and more floods in the future because the whole wow. water cycle is just going to be on steroids. Yeah. And so as, as that happens, you know, you're going to have to deal with more extremes and farmers don't like extremes. Yeah. You, you want good steady conditions to be able to understand, you know, how your crops are going to respond to that. Oh yeah. Well, any advice for, for our, you know, a lot of the farmers we work with, as I've mentioned, they're, they're out there, you know, putting in the work, doing this, the, the sustainable and regenerative practices that will, that will help to mitigate some of these things. Any, any words of wisdom for them as they're out there trying to adjust to this continuing change? Yeah, I, I found that, that folks who are interested in organic farming generally are much more open to talking about climate variability and climate change and what to expect in the future um, than uh, the average commodity farmer is. Um, yeah. They have a different set of values, a different set of guidelines. I think for many, organic farmers, they're really in, invested in keeping that farm in their family for the future. It's not like they're just renting out property, but they want to keep it going for a long time. So you have to be more responsive to how things are going to change than yeah. if you're just renting for a year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Pam, this has been such helpful information. I, I believe there was, there was a study that you were referencing that we could talk about. Um, and I believe it was pertaining to, to carbon capture and some recent findings there. Is that, what are some of those key takeaways that folks might find compelling? Yeah. Well, one of the hopes was that um, by doing regenerative farming and doing more carbon capture, you'd be able to pull carbon out of the atmosphere and yeah. put it back into the soils as you know, a lot of the historic prairie, prairie soils and so on have been. Um, but there was just a study published about a week ago um, based on 30 year study of some farms up in Wisconsin, obviously a little colder than Georgia, um, yeah. but it showed that it's actually quite hard to bring a lot of carbon back into the soil. And that's really disappointing because yeah. you know we're, we're talking now um, in the new 
administration about carbon markets and and paying people to help sequester carbon. And, and I think farmers really were looking at that as a possibility of bringing more farm income in. Yeah. And so this latest study is a little bit disappointing because mm. it shows it's gonna be harder to do than we thought. And yeah. it, it'd be interesting to see a, com a peer comparable study that was done here in the South rather than up in Wisconsin. Yeah. Because um, the climate yeah. of course is a little different there. Um, that was done, I think mostly on a dairy farm. Uh -huh. um, so, so, it's there's a lot of things that we don't understand yet and and that's why you know the university has to continue to be involved in research but we also have to figure out ways to make it useful to the producers yeah well i mean on that note i'm so grateful that that you are in the position that you're in and that you're in georgia because it seems like a good time that that you know we've been asking these questions and and it's exciting to see that these studies are being done in the first place but not only that the questions are being asked, but that there seem to be receptive ears now at the other end um, in, in DC and in Washington federal level. And hopefully that will, that will filter down as well. Yeah. It's a hugely hopeful time for climatologists because I think there's really a lot of possibilities. And I think a lot of it's going to be directed to the agricultural community and yeah. ways that, you know, they can improve irrigation or that they can improve farm management and so, you know, now is going to be a really, really key time to really get a lot of that going. And yeah. it's an exciting time to be part of it. Absolutely. Curious, is there anything that, that folks that might be non-farmers, but maybe they have an interest in weather or climate or, or advocacy, you know, are, have you noticed any ways for, for normal folks <laughs> to get involved in this conversation? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the show that one of the biggest producers of greenhouse gases is food waste. Yeah. And some of that food waste comes in the production, you know, harvesting and, and so on. But a lot of people waste food at their own homes too. And so for consumers, I think one of the easiest things to do is to buy more wisely, buy yeah. things that you can eat the whole plant of, um, or, you know, or, um, figure out ways to, to use that food before it goes bad in your refrigerator. And then for whatever waste you do have to compost it or something like that um, is a better way to get rid of it than just dumping it into a landfill. Yeah. And so that's a very easy way for most consumers to do that. We all have to eat. So, you know, unless you're going out for every meal, which is pretty expensive and hard to do in the pandemic, I think too. Yeah. Um, now is a really good time to, to think about how you're handling food at home and yeah. to see if you can come up with some better ways of doing it. Well, and especially, hopefully um, there's a rise in, in that practice as folks are, have taken more of an interest in home gardening during the pandemic. So hopefully maybe we'll see some, some net benefits um, as far as you know, home food waste through the pandemic. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, you know, it's amazing to me that how much people have really taken to home gardening when I look at my Facebook feed, a lot of my friends now, even friends that never thought about gardening before are really excited about doing that. And so, um, you know, are interested in, in learning about uh, rain barrels and how they can conserve water. And they're interested about compost piles and how they can improve their soil health. And, you know, if, if they can see the benefit in their own yard, then they're gonna see the benefits also in, um, buying the kind of food that they would want to grow at home as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Pam, thank you so much for, for joining us and sharing this knowledge. It's really exciting to, to hear from someone in your role about the you know, receptivity to these conversations and, and things that can be done. Um, what's the best way for folks to, to connect with you or connect with your work? Well, you can visit the University of Georgia Weather Network at weather.uga.edu and you can see what stations are there and what kind of data we have. We have a lot more than is on the website, but we do save some of it because we sell the data to help support the network Yeah, uh, since yeah. we don't get a lot of state funding. Uh, if you're interested in my blog, you can go to site.extension.uga.edu forward slash climate and that will put you on my blog and you can take a look there. You can sign up and get a digest once a day if you want, or you can just go and take a look. Uh, awesome. There's no requirement to do that one way or the other. That's great. And I'll be sure to link that in the show notes too, so folks can check it out. There's some really interesting stuff in there and also some fun, fun stuff like clouds on Mars. That's, that's always. Yeah, I started it in, in 2014 <laughs> and, and it's, I've done two to three posts a day for almost the entire time period since wow. then. So there's a lot of material to look at. There's a lot there. That's great. Well, thank you for all that you do. And, and please stay in touch with us here at Georgia Organics. And um, yeah, keep up the great work. All right. It's good to be here. That's our show for today. On behalf of Georgia Organics, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Atlanta Foodcast. Be sure you subscribe and stay tuned because we'll be back in another two weeks. If you want to read more about the Atlanta Foodcast and the guest on our show, visit atlfoodcast.com. To learn more about Georgia Organics and become a member, visit georgiaorganics.org. Thanks for joining us. This is your reminder to eat well and stay local.